Yeah, so, um, yeah, I wanted to jump up right after Mark and Esther finished speaking and just talk about that. Uh, it's hard to, hard to sit down um, in a moment like that. I'm just, it's, it is hard to see them go. I heard a collective sigh from people. Um, but I also want to make sure that you understand that um, it's such a privilege and an honor to be a part of, of God's church, to send out uh, some of our, our people, some of our, um, some that we love so much. You know, I think about the model church for Trinity Park is my, my favorite picture of a church in the Bible is the church at Antioch. You can find that in Acts 11 and Acts 13. But in Acts 13, uh, the elders all get together, and it's, a, it's, an, it's an elder board. It's the first session that we see in the Bible, and it has people uh, on the session from all different types of ethnic backgrounds. And they gather, and they pray, and they sense the Holy Spirit is saying, um, send out Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. Now, that's their senior pastor and their assistant pastor. And they do it. They lay their hands on them, and they send them out. And that's how the first missionary journey of the church started. And so I'm sure that was extremely hard uh, for that church. And it's hard for our church to send out uh, some of our our women's discipleship team leader, our elder out. But this is the church. This is, there's nothing more important to the heart of God than seeing the world hear his gospel of grace. And so I'm so excited for our church to have this opportunity to send out Mark and Esther. Um, and I'll kind of use that as a segue. You know, Mark talked about how he grew up and he was educated as a Korean and so was Esther to understand the Japanese people to be oppressors, and they were um, historically to the Korean people. And yet, as we grow as Christians, we understand that the Japanese people, each individual person, the Korean people, um, on the, the micro level, not the geopolitical level, but on the micro level, they're human beings created in the image of God. And yes, we have these, these stories, these meta-narratives of how countries have related to each other historically and we see this actually in our passage as well. And it's easy for us in the midst of our world today, particularly with the news cycle, to get caught up in all of the macro level understandings of, of geopolitics. We think about Ukraine. You hear about satellites and countries arming on this side. And you have other countries, China, particularly arming uh, Russia. And, and we think about um, all of these, these different diplomats, Biden visiting Kiev, all those are important. We should think about that. But on the micro level, and, and our, our news agencies are better than ever at reporting this to us, but we have to be vigilant to remember that there are millions of people in the Ukraine who are suffering. Yeah, you can think about, is Elon Musk going to supply satellites to Ukraine or whatever? But yeah, okay, also think about the fact that there are millions and millions of people who are suffering in Ukraine. We have to think about the micro level. I was just, as just a very brief update on what I did this last week. I was in Washington, D.C., as you might have uh, followed along with the story. I have the opportunity. It's an incredible privilege to be able to talk to some of our nation's leaders about what's going on in China with the Chinese church, in particular with one imprisoned pastor who represents a vast network of, of leaders, uh, Christian leaders in China. It's easy when we talk about Chinese-U.S. bilateral relations, and we read about this every day in the news of what is happening with Xi Jinping, what is happening with Biden, and all of this, and all of that is very important, and thank God we have people in government that think about that. But we also have to represent there are individual human beings in China 
who simply want to worship God freely. Millions of Christians who simply want to worship and are being repressed for that belief. We have to understand the macro level, and the Bible talks about a lot of macro level politics. And those are important because God is at work in all of those areas. The Bible cares about macro level politics. The Bible also cares, God also cares about micro level individual people and their experience when the world is going through the chaos. So in our sermon series, we skipped over 2 Kings 3. Um, just a really brief recap, what's happening in Israel at the time is that they're experiencing uh, the downstream impact of having Ahab as their king, who was an evil king. Now his son is ruling, and he's as evil as his dad. And so on that macro level, God is judging Israel for their unfaithfulness and going after following Ahab, worshiping Baal. But the question remains, what is happening? Does God care about the individual family unit in Israel even still? Even in a time of judgment, is there mercy for individual people? Is there mercy for this woman in the story? If you're, um, if you're living in a time of war, if you're living in, a, in, in the midst of a great uh, communist regime, life is hard for you. Life is hard for you. Does God care? As you may know, I was sick for almost all of January. I had the flu first, and then I got a sinus infection, and then I got COVID, okay? That was a really hard month. But even though it was a hard month for me, I have doctors who are my friends who I can call. I have CVS and Walgreens that I can drive to or someone can drive to for me if I can't drive. Um, I have a warm home where I can rest. I have Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, many options to keep me entertained. I have an iPhone that seamlessly helps me to communicate with the world as I'm laying on the couch. What if you're sick like I was in January and you're in the Ukraine? What is that like? What is it like to be on the run and to be sick? What is it like to not have heat and to be sick? What is it like to have children that are sick and to not have access to doctors? What is it like to be in prison in China and be ill and have COVID? And COVID went just rampantly through the prison system. In China, What is it like? Does God care? In the midst of the geopolitical upheaval that we live in today that Andy just prayed about, does God care about individual people? This story shows us that God does care. God does care. God does see this woman. He sees her children and he intervenes through the prophet Elisha. So today we see how God responds to a normal person who does not have enough for a powerful adversary who needs miraculous provision to settle her debts and who in the end is given not just barely enough but more than enough for her and for her children and for the rest of her life. So first of all, uh, today we're going to look at what it feels like to not have enough for a powerful adversary. So picking up in verse 1, this is a woman who is a widow. Her husband had died. Her husband was the son of a prophet, so they were one of the few uh, God-fearing families left in Israel, and upon her husband's death, 
He had a debt that he did not repay before he died, and so now that debt has been transferred to her, and now a loan shark is after her and demanding that she pay his debts, her, husband's, her deceased husband's debts. If she cannot pay in full, then he is going to take her two sons as slaves. So the fact that this kind of thing should happen or could happen in Israel is absolutely appalling. It's a sign of how wicked and depraved the society had become. The nearly non-existent place of God's law in society because within the Pentateuch, within the first five books of the Bible, and in stories we see like the story of Ruth, how this is exemplified, there were provisions in Israel for poor people like this woman. The community is supposed to take care of widows and other vulnerable people. There's no social security system in Israel at the time, but God had provided laws like we see in Ruth, laws like about a kinsman redeemer, a family member who's supposed to come and take care of you, not gleaning all the way to the edges of your fields. You shouldn't be about gross profiteering where it's about making every single cent for yourself as a company and not giving to the poor. There were years of jubilee and sabbatical years to keep generational debt from overwhelming the poor, either by their own bad choices or through the systemic failures of societies that are run by human beings. God had a plan in the Old Testament, very clearly articulated, that for someone like this woman in a situation like she was in, there should be mercy and there should be relief and it should come from the community around her. Certainly in God's law, in God's society that he set up in Israel, you should not have a loan shark coming after a widow who is then going to take and enslave her two children to pay off a debt. That should just not be what is happening here. And so she appeals to Elisha. And verse 1 says she cried out to him. She is desperate. She has a debt she cannot repay. And if it is not repaid soon, she will lose her two sons, the rest of her families. So one scholar noted this, and I love this. And it says this, that Elisha stopping for her displays not just the mercy of God for the poor, but the value that God attributes to the poor. James 2.5, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. Though her husband was poor in terms of money, maybe in terms of decision-making, not sure about why he's in debt at this point when he died, but in the manner of Luke 12, 21, he had been rich toward God. He had invested his life and some of his money, certainly, in God's kingdom. And so this husband and this family may have been poor socioeconomically, but in the kingdom of God, they have laid up treasures in heaven for years. And so, and so, in God's economy, they are rich. And God sees them. So the fact that Elisha stops for her is deeply encouraging. And it's not just encouraging because Elisha stops for her, because Elisha is like our Lord, who stopped for people. Last week, I talked about redemption that came to Jericho. One of the individuals that was redeemed in Jericho was Bartimaeus. 
And Elisha in this story says to the woman, what shall I do for you? That's the same question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. This is the question of the gospel. What do you want me to do for you? Sorry. So last week at the end of the sermon, you heard how God brought redemption to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was blind and God brought healing to Bartimaeus and healed his eyes but also healed his heart. And so now Elisha is coming to this woman and asking her the same question, what do you want me to do for you? Now for Bartimaeus who was blind and for this woman who has nothing, that's a really, it's, it's kind of like a rhetorical question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, I want to see, Bartimaeus says. This woman doesn't even say anything, it's so obvious. I have nothing and the loan shark is after me. But Jesus asked that question to you as well. This is the gospel question, what do you want me to do for you? And the answer that you give to that question actually reveals something deep in the core of your heart. So for Jesus, as he looks at us, our need for him and what we need him to do for us is as obvious as it was when Jesus met Bartimaeus and he needed to see, and it was as obvious as Elisha meeting this woman, the widow, who needs uh, provision. What we need Jesus to do for us is, is incredibly obvious to the Lord. We need the Lord to, uh, we have a problem, we have a debt like this woman that we also cannot repay. We are spiritually poor before we meet, we meet Jesus. We have a debt that we cannot repay. Now, different from this woman, uh, this woman was a victim of injustice. An immoral creditor was coming after her. In our case, we have a just creditor, a moral creditor that is seeking us. And that is the Lord. And the Lord knows that before him, the, the, the justice of God means that we have a debt that we cannot repay to him. So that is the big problem that is facing us as well. Every single one of us finds us in a position like this woman before the Lord. Different from this woman, she apparently had received all of this debt from her husband. And we have received some debts from Adam and Eve. Historically, we have inherited those debts. But we also have contributed to the debt level, the debt level that we have. We have sinned on our own. We have a debt because of sin that we cannot repay to the Lord. And that's the situation we find ourselves in before Jesus comes and stops for us on the cross. And let's talk about how the Lord does that. But first, let's go back to the story. The second point this morning is a miraculous provision to settle our debts. Now, in the case of this woman, Elisha tells her to take out the things that she has in her possession, which is a jar of oil. Now, why did she still have oil left? Well, oil was left, oil was the instrument they used for cooking at the time, much like we do, but she had just a jar of oil on hand and she had no food to even cook it with. That's the only thing that she had left, which means that she was down to the bare minimum. So she's told to go and find every pot in her house and in her neighbor's houses and then she's very specifically to go in and shut the door behind herself and her sons. Now, why? Well, first of all, uh, perhaps there were thieves in the area. And Elisha knows that she's about to have a, a lot of oil. And it's going to be uh, worth a lot of money. This is not a safe place. So perhaps she's supposed to lock herself in because she's about to go from being 
very, very poor to very, very rich. It could also be uh, because this is a sign from the Lord, and Elisha doesn't want anyone to be able to come in and say afterwards that, oh, actually, this woman has already, she's always had this much oil, and to discredit the miracle. But she goes in, and she is fully obedient to the instruction of Elisha. But notice this. Notice that for her to follow the Lord, it is going to require her to give the Lord and to trust Elisha with everything that she has. She has a jar of oil. In order for more more oil to come, she is going to have to pour out her oil. She's going to have to give it up. She's going to have to pour out to the very last drop of what she has in her possession. This is like us. When we receive the Lord's instruction that there's this provision for us in Christ, we have to trust him totally with everything that we have. But as she pours out the oil, it begins to multiply. And the boys, one by one by one by one, keep on bringing in containers until they pour the very last container full and it's filled to the brim. And that is the end of the oil because all the containers are filled very specifically. So I want to draw your attention to this. So when the Lord provides for us, he doesn't just provide miraculously, he also provides for us specifically. Specifically to the very last container. Yes, Jesus dying on the cross is indeed a miracle that he covers our sin in general. But specifically, he knows you. He knows all of your sins. He knows all of your needs for him. He knows everything that you've done, everything that you're doing, and everything you're going to do. He knows all the sins that you've done and all the things that you've left undone. And he very specifically, miraculously provides for our debts so that every single debt is paid that we have. Think about this woman. She had no idea, I'm sure, what the current market rate of oil exactly was in the sense that exactly how much oil that she needed to have in order to pay off her debts. But God knows. God knows exactly how much oil she needs. And he provides a very specific amount to make sure that all of that debt is paid for her. He, knew, he knows the markets, he knows the amounts, and he knows the containers in the story You know, sometimes when we're overwhelmed in life as Christians, we don't know exactly what to pray for from the Lord. We don't know exactly what to ask him for that will meet our needs. Perhaps you feel like you need friends. And so you just pray, God, I need need friends. I need community. But you don't know the friends that you need. You don't know the number of friends that you need. You don't know the community that you need. But you just know you need community. And so you cry out to God, God, I'm so lonely I need a friend. And the Lord knows, and he gives you exactly what you need. Perhaps you feel this need, this weakness in your life, and you you cry out to the Lord, I need strength, God. But you can't really describe, do I need, should I ask for emotional strength, spiritual strength, psychological strength, all of the above? How do I describe exactly to the Lord what I need right now, other than I need strength? But the Lord knows what we need, and he gives us what we need. You may say in a time of financial need, I need for you to provide God, but you don't pull out your mint.com account or your, your whatever you use, Microsoft money, and go down the list and say, this is exactly the amount that I need. 
But God knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. You see, God provides for us in Christ. He provides for us for the debt that we owe him for our sin, but he also provides for us downstream after we're following him. He continues to provide for us. Think about this woman. Think about what she had been through. I said earlier that her husband and her had invested everything in God's kingdom, and though they were poor in life, they were rich in the kingdom of God. And so God doesn't just provide for the debt we owe him for our sin one time. It's not as though Jesus only cares for us when we begin to follow him at that very moment, and that's all he does. Of course not. No, downstream all the way, God sees his people. He sees you if you have trusted him and you have given up something, perhaps much, to follow him. He sees how you've invested in his kingdom and how you've followed him, and he comes to take care of you and to provide for you down the line. He is Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. He doesn't just provide randomly. He knows what you need exactly. And we know that he will take care of us downstream in life because if he's taken care of us on the cross, which we've just confessed in our assurance of pardoning grace, I love that we included that today. If if God did not spare Christ then will he not along with him graciously give us all things? He will. He will continue to provide for us. And he provided for us already in the most great way in his son on the cross. Did you know that the idea of substitutionary atonement is unique to Christianity? I've actually uh, shared the gospel with a few Hindus and Muslims And whenever I get to the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, there's this total disconnect, this this complete lack of understanding that is there from them because it's unique to Christianity. Now, that God would hold us accountable for our sins, yes, sure, that's, that's something that you can find out there. But that God would hold us accountable for our sins and that he would send his own son as a substitutionary offering for sin so that Christ stands in and pays the debt for us that satisfies the just wrath of God, that is completely unique. The idea that you would pay for your sins is not unique, but the idea that God would pay for your sins is completely unique to Christianity. The idea that God himself would come in and stand in And and say, I will provide, I will fill up all the jars of oil that are necessary for you to pay for your debt so that you can live freely is a unique and beautiful truth of Christianity. When I was in the Philippines, uh, when I was in in college, I went uh, to the Philippines one summer for a month and lived in the jungle. Uh, I'll tell you some stories there. but uh, one of the things I had the opportunity to do was learn a few songs in the, the native dialect of Takbanwa that uh, we were mainly on this island. This is the main language that was spoken. One of those songs said this. It says, I had a debt I could not earn. He paid the debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song Amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. 
I love that song. You know, some of you spend an exorbitant amount of your time trying to pay back your debt to God. Even if you're a Christian, like you believe in the atonement, you theologically agree that it's true, but you spend your life trying to pay God back for all that you've done. As if Christ's sacrifice was not enough, you work so hard so that God will say to you one day, that's enough. You live, some of you really struggle with perfectionism because you believe that God exacts the standard that you have to live up to in order for him to be okay with you. If you can't do it that way, then you, you opt for guilt or shame and you hope that by enduring enough guilt or shame that maybe God will one day say, you know what, that's enough. But you know what? God has already said to you that enough has been done to fully pay for the price of your sin. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, then what you can do is you can take that payment that has been made of Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, you can go to the Father and you can say by faith, the Son, your Son has paid my debt. It is finished. Just like this woman was able to go, in this case, to the loan shark and say, look, I have enough money, and then the loan shark could not pursue her anymore. So the one coming after you, the just creditor, you can go to him and say, look, enough has been done. Enough has been paid for me so that I no longer have to live in guilt and shame. And the father, yes, he, he agrees. Do you know the father looks at the son and what he has done, and he doesn't want you to do anything else to pay for your sin. He's not interested in all of your good works insofar as they might impress him that you might then be forgiven. He doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame anymore. He doesn't. Because Jesus has already paid the debt for you. It is indeed finished. But that's not the end of the story. The third point is that there is overflowing provision so that we and others can live. The story goes on at the end of verse 7. God doesn't just give this woman enough to pay for her debts. You know, actually, if that's all God would have done, it would still be a cruel story. Because she would just have barely enough. She would find herself in the same position later on. She has no more money. If she uses all of her money to pay the loan shark, she has nothing. So God doesn't just give her barely enough God knows how much she needs, not just to pay back the debt, but how much she needs, period. All of her needs, every need that she has, God continues to provide so that not just she, but also her sons can live, presumably for a very, very long time. And God does the same for us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus didn't just pay the debt for your sin, that's unbelievable that he did that, but he did more. And Martin Luther talks about this in The Great Exchange, that Jesus received our sin, but we received Christ's righteousness. Now, righteousness is more than just paying for debt, just just being forgiven. Righteousness is a full crediting of the account, of our account, that goes all the way up. So if you think about it in financial terms for this woman, it's not as though she went from I owe $10,000 to zero. She went from negative 10,000 to zero to millionaire. Whatever. She had so much 
that she could live on that. And, that. and spiritually, that's what God has done for us in Christ. He's not just paid for our debts. He has given us Christ's righteousness, which is more than enough for all that we need to live on in him by faith for the rest of our lives. So that what? So that now you can live freely. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not then be burdened again. Do not go back then again to a yoke of slavery. Now what if this woman had been, had been given this money and had all of this, this, uh, this capital that she could use to pay her debt and she paid off her debt, but then she lived not freely. She lived encumbered. She lived as though she was always afraid of being enslaved. Now wouldn't that be a tragedy for this story? But what God has done for us in Christ is he has not just forgiven us, but he has made us free so that you have everything that you need spiritually to live freely so that you can, like this woman's husband and like her, invest your life, invest your time, your talents, your treasure in the kingdom of God because you have everything that you need. So that when someone is praying to God, Lord, I need a friend, When someone is praying to God, Lord, I need strength. When someone is praying to God, Lord, I need financial help. How does God normally provide for people? How does he normally answer prayers for people? You know, God sometimes works miracles like this. But if he worked a miracle every single time, it wouldn't be a miracle, right? That's that's against the nature of miracles. So how God normally provides is through his people. How he normally provides is he he gives us so much in Christ. He so fills us up in Christ. He so makes us righteous in his sight. He so changes the values of our lives so that then we would then give our lives freely without reserve to help other people, help other people who desperately need it so that when we're giving to them, we're not doing it so that God will look at us and say, wow. Look at what they're doing. Actually, I will forgive them of their sins. Not at all. Never. As Christians, we don't do that. We give ourselves to others because Christ has freely given to us. We don't do it to pay God back for what he's done. We do it because of all that he has done for us, because we want to follow him, the one who, like Elisha, who, like you know Christ, we follow these who have set this example of giving their lives away so that others can have life. God doesn't just look at us and say, you're barely forgiven or you're barely enough. He doesn't say that you've barely been made righteous. He says you're totally made righteous. And if that is true, then we can live generously for other people. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I received an an email from IJM, International Justice Mission. It was just a normal email. It wasn't like a special email because I'm a pastor. They send these out to people um, just to let them know what's going on. So Trinity Park has supported IJM, um, and many of you have supported them individually. IJM exists. It's, um, it's a vast network of attorneys and, and others who work to see people who are enslaved in the world brought out of slavery. I just want to uh, thank IJM. <laughs> Because it's easy for me to read a text like like this in the scriptures and to fail to remember 
that there are women who are experiencing and families who are experiencing exactly what she is experiencing right now. Like millions of them. So many people. This is their story. They don't have enough. They have some sort of debt. The loan shark comes after them, says you have to repay. And so what do they do? They can't repay. And so they end up giving some of their children. And those children become enslaved and live a terrible life. The story described in this IJM email just goes like this. It's just excerpts from the email. And there are millions of stories like this. Cassie, name changed uh, for the sake of her identity, was 12 when a family friend lured her to Manila, the Philippines. Quote, he told me that he can help me to reach all my dreams, she remembers. And at first she enjoyed the big city and having nicer clothes. But then the abuse began. She was thinking, she says, I was thinking I want to die. I want to die because of this pain, but I can't. He hurt me every day. It felt lonely for me because I was very far from family and I couldn't tell them what happened to me because I was very scared. And after IJM heard about the abuse, the generosity of people like you, Trinity Park, many other people, uh, coordinated with local authorities and set Cassie and five other children free. Today, Cassie is in her fourth year of college studying hospitality management. She's become an advocate for IJM and for other people. So what Christ has done for us, if we will accept what he's done for us and live in the righteousness of Christ and, and the incredible generosity that God has given to us, it enables us to be like Elisha for other people. It enables us to be like these folks with IJM. It enables us to go overseas as missionaries. It enabled me to go to Washington, D.C. It, it enables you and all of us, if we all could understand and live in what God has done for us, then we can be neighbors to those who are around us. We can observe what God is doing. Now, you can do that in your regular life. You can do that as we go to Boundary Village and in your normal neighborhood. Listen, there are a lot of, of needs among the poor in the world, and there are actually a, a decent number of poor people around us as well, and you can find them. But whether or not you're financially poor, there are many people that are poor in many ways in this community. You sh we need to learn how to love our neighbors and see them. But in going back to the materially poor, the financially poor, you know, God's heart is very near. We, we see this throughout the scriptures. God's heart is very near for the poor. Very near for those who do not have enough materially. And my question would be, is, is your heart also for the poor? When you think about uh, all the geopolitics, and you read the news every day, don't forget to think about the individual person suffering in the world. When you read about China, don't forget about the people in the church. When you read about all these geopolitical relationships, think about individual people that you know. You know, actually right now, people that, that's, that live in America that speak with a Russian accent, for example, are actually very worried. I don't know if you know this, but it's, it's a hard time to be to live in America and have a Russian accent. Now, as ridiculous as that is, right? I mean, what is that? What is it? How do, unless you get to know them, right? Do we see our neighbor? Do, do, we, do we love them? And we, we never do this. We never love other people so that God will love us back. We love others and we seek to, to get to know them and help them because God has already loved us so much in Christ. You know, the standard that we set for ourselves is not how much 
wealth can I accrue on this earth? When I retire, what will my net worth be? That is not the standard. The standard is how much can I invest in the kingdom of God? How much can I invest in this reality that is so much greater than the financial reality, so much greater than the geopolitical realities? This is the reality, this reality of, of God in heaven. This is our ultimate reality. How are we investing our lives for the sake of women like this in the story, for the sake of people like Cassie, for the sake of people in the world who really need the gospel? Let's follow the Lord in this. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, um, I just pray if there's anyone here who has never received the free offer of grace that comes to us in Christ, this overflowing provision to meet our spiritual needs, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that, that they would believe in you and accept your payment for their sin. Lord, I pray that not a single person would leave here today without receiving that payment, that divine provision that is very specifically enough. But Lord, I also pray for us who have received the payment, the exorbitant, miraculous, perfect payment that you brought to us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would live freely. I pray that we would live freely in the gospel. We would live freely as those who can invest our lives now for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom so that many people would know you spiritually and physically. Lord God, you can see and care about all of the macro level things, but in the midst of that, we we're amazed at you that you can see, you see us, you can see the individual and you provide very specifically. Lord, would you do that through us? Would you do that through this church? Lord God, we ask you to do that. We thank you for the gospel in Jesus' name.